This is To Be Continued, the Coming Out Saga podcast, and I'm Amber Birch. At the moment, I use she, they pronouns, though that could change at any time, and I am here to normalize that for myself and anyone else. I came out first as pansexual and now as queer at the age of 40 after an eight-year marriage. This podcast is my attempt to sift through the many layers that are part of the after of coming out. I hope in my stories and the questions I'm sitting with, you'll ultimately see glimpses of your own story and space to be with it all. So, I'm trying to practice offering less disclaimers and apologies, balanced with a sensitive awareness of what may be hard or triggering for others. So what I'll offer here is this. I'm learning how to navigate a language of inclusion that is rapidly and delicately evolving. I am not always going to get it right or best, but I do welcome dialogue and I hope, above all, you will always honor what's best for you and care for yourself accordingly. Hey friends. When I first started this podcast, I it was pretty easy to be in a flow of putting out an episode every week. I had a lot of topics that were fresh and new that I wanted to cover. And as I've kind of told that story and progressed through that, I find that the rhythm is slowing and I've come to a different sort of rhythm of just waiting and listening for what needs to be said so that's what I've been doing and as I've been listening I feel like the thing that's wanting to come out this week is kind of directed towards a specific person (laughs) I mean like group of people that are very dear to my heart Um, I want to speak today to the ones who feel, you know, you've been living inside a story of grief, of compounded loss, heartache, sadness, depression, however you name it. It feels heavy and pervasive and without end. Maybe somewhere along the way, you've taken this hope that things would significantly change and set it on a shelf. Maybe you've buried it because it's just too painful to carry this hope around. Maybe you feel jaded or cynical or apathetic. Maybe you're just too weary to know how you feel. Maybe... Not consciously, but, you know, if you were to have a sit-down, heart-to-heart with yourself, you'd admit that some part of you feels like maybe this is the best you'll ever have, and you better just accept that. Maybe, Maybe you don't feel worthy of a life that includes sinking deeply into joy. 
maybe deep down, as much as you long for it, you're also terrified of trusting goodness to come into your life and, like, stick around for a while, you know? Like, you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop or the crisis or loss or catastrophe is just around the corner that you've always got to brace yourself for. Yeah. (laughs) I see you. And I want to talk with you today, love, because guess what? (laughs) It may not come as a shock to you, but I am well acquainted with these thoughts and feelings. So we're, we're in good company. I don't have any advice or shoulds, I mean, fuck shoulds, (laughs) right? None of that to dole out. I'm not interested in making anyone feel better or glossing over the hard things or bypassing them all together. All I can really offer is this little online space here. Like, I think of it kind of like my living room and I'm, I'm inviting my friends in to sit for a while where there's just space to be without judgment. And maybe... You know, since this is a one-sided conversation, unfortunately, maybe in hearing some of my story, you might recognize yourself in it and be seen. Let me start here. Okay, the other night, I was with my shall I say, boyfriend? (laughs) Yeah, I did just say that. Okay, so I already have to press pause on my story and point out something comical that comes with a warning because there might be a few rabbit trails in this episode. And I'll try my best to stick to whatever the hell the point is that I'm trying to make. Um, But yeah, several months ago... I borrowed a coworker's car here for the first time. Uh, he's a cis gay man who has a witty, often very deadpan sense of humor that I appreciate. And on the you know back of his car, he had plastered a bumper sticker that says something like, the only person I let this close to my butt is my boyfriend. <laughs> I laughed so hard when I first saw this. Um... But then when I borrowed his car as this newly out queer per- person who was also like, uh, yeah, just like questioning gender identity. I joked that people were going to mistake me for a straight person because of this. I mean, it's not that I didn't and don't realize I could obviously be queer and have a boyfriend. I just chuckled and rolled my eyes because you know, the assumption most people make when they see someone they would identify as a cis woman is that boyfriend is going to refer to a straight guy, like a cishet guy. And at that time, honestly, a big part of me did think it unlikely I'd ever have a boyfriend again anyhow. (laughs) So fast forward to last week when I hopped in this car to drive to see the person I'm newly dating. And again, laughed out loud because holy shit it had become real I did 
in fact, have a boyfriend. A queer, sexy, non-binary, trans boyfriend. (laughs) Who, by the way, uses they, them, he, him pronouns. And uh, so when I asked him what he'd like to call me, he said it might be kind of fun to also call me boyfriend to a few people uh, if I felt comfortable with that. He's like, I've never had a boyfriend. (laughs) I'm like, I thought about it for a second. Was I'm totally cool with that. Like, absolutely. Call me boyfriend, especially to your family who (laughs) won't know what to do with that information. Um, I'm definitely still finding the most sense of ease with like gender, gender neutral terms in general, but I really like fucking with norms and flipping them upside down. And so does he. So, you know, most people looking at me would, would peg me as a girlfriend probably. Um, in fact, a man who was a customer at the farm a few weeks ago when seeing me, um, remarked to my boss who was standing there that he didn't know we had so many pretty girls working here. (laughs) That didn't go over so well. Um, it made me cringe for a number of reasons. One of them being, I don't really resonate with girl as a descriptor these days. Um, also men need to stop making comments like that period. Also I'm 41. So the girl train has kind of left the building a while ago, but I guess it could also be a compliment given I look about, you know, 10 or more years younger than I am. But I just don't really welcome any dude calling me a girl. Uh, I do, however, I'd like to point out, still like to get my groove on to Lizzo's Like a Girl. Yeah. That song... That song always does it for me, regardless of how I identify or not. It's a good one, but I digress. Rabbit trail, remember? The point is... Damn. (laughs) What was the point? Oh yeah, the point is... I have a boyfriend, y'all. Like, the joke's on me. (laughs) And also, I am a boyfriend. (laughs) So doubly joked. (laughs) Uh, At least that was one of the points. Like, a veering off from my main point, but still... Okay. Uh, Yeah, where were we? The bumper sticker, borrowing the car, driving to see my boyfriend the other night. I'll get there. Hang on. I got it. We're back. (laughs) Okay, so the other night, it was a significant anniversary for me. And I've got lots of these anniversaries over the last decade plus. This one was multifaceted. You know, it was my year anniversary of being at the farm, where I now am. One whole year of living and working in the same place in the most 
tumultuous two years of my life, really, which is no small thing. But also, exactly a year ago this night, I remembered very clearly, (laughs) I had been riding with a friend across the state who was helping me move uh, to the farm. She also works here. And I was numb and in shock, to be honest, uh, after getting evicted from the sanctuary where I'd been living and working. And it had really come down to the wire uh, getting out of there. Um, you know, I'd had three days notice to, to get out. And then they'd given me a hard deadline of a time to clear, completely clear out, you know, 5 p.m. Like, and I just knew there was a likelihood that in their case, you know, cops could be called They if, if there was still on the premises by this time. And so that's just kind of the, the people that they are. And the car I was using along with the trailer we'd rented, had gotten stuck in a bank of snow in the driveway. So with the help of like my one remaining coworker and friend at the sanctuary, uh, we literally dug the car out with our hands and sticks and shovels for like an hour and a half. And my nervous system was so shot that I was in a near panic because the time was just ticking away. And um, we didn't get the car freed until like a half an hour before the deadline, okay? (laughs) Didn't have anything loaded into the trailer at this point. So by the time the deadline came around, I was barreling down the driveway like sobbing and shaking and feeling like I had dug myself to safety and was like just fleeing. Um, so when we pulled into the farm late that night, I got settled in a room all alone in this strange new place and spent the next four days of quarantine lying on my back and staring blankly out the windows at these snow-covered mountains, feeling just empty and scared and just weary to the bone and defeated. I didn't want to have to start over again. I had already, you know, left my marriage not even a year before I left everything that was familiar and traveled 3,000 miles across the country. You know, to be in a relationship, I also ended up leaving not long after and then moved from, you know, one state to another to be at the sanctuary. And all I'd wanted was a damn break from moving from crisis a place to finally just unclench and begin to heal where I felt safe. I I just wanted refuge. And 
I don't know how I ended up hearing this song, but I was listening to this artist on Spotify that I hadn't listened to in ages. Her name's Audrey Assad. And she and I seem to have traveled parallel paths, I learned, in a lot of ways. Um, both of us, you know, were raised in and just deeply vested in Christian culture. And the last time I'd listened to her music, I was in that, um, that place. I, I was still very deeply identifying as Christian. And, you know, I no longer do and haven't for a number of years now but both of us eventually questioning and shifting in our beliefs around faith you know um in those years since I had listened to her music this song was called Shiloh and as soon as she started singing it her voice and the words of this song cracked through my numbness and I was just breaking. And I was hugging myself, huddled in this room, crying so hard that almost no sound came out. Because I just felt so deeply seen by this song. So I just want to read the lyrics of the, of the song so you can get an idea for this. Deep down, your eyes look haunted by gray ghosts. You live in your stories, hunted by shadows. When pain comes to show you what you'd rather not know, what will your heart do? What will you let go? May loving kindness calm the raging of the wound. May your healing be a clearing in the wood. May you breathe in deeper than you ever could before. See what you've lived through so you can grieve it and draw it towards you, catch and release it. And now as your tears flow, let them be cleansing, washing your heart so you can be mending. In every season, for every seed, there's a time to grow, a time to grow through yesterday's curtains. Maybe you'll open a window, a window, so everything broken Everything bleeding can be made whole, can be made whole, where everything shattered. Baby, you'll find your Shiloh, your Shiloh. As I was listening to this, I was thinking, first of all, it just, it felt like it was written for me <laughs> in that moment. But also, I was wondering, what, what is exactly Shiloh? I mean, I grew up reading the Bible all the time and was familiar with this word. But I wanted to refresh my memory because it just wasn't coming to me. So I looked it up. And of course, this is a Hebrew word and there are many facets to the meaning of this word, uh, many layers and context, but the simplest and most resonant, um, you know, definition for me was simply a place of peace, tranquility, prosperous rest. Of course, reading this confirmed what was just so 
aching inside of me, not only in this moment, but just in this whole season of my life. I was without a place of peace. And at this time in my life, you know, February of last year, 2021, I hadn't, I was several months out from even entertaining the question of my queerness. I had no fucking clue. I was still trying to untangle myself, the last bits from the, you know, the mess that that was my marriage. And I had some, already had some estrangement from family. And I was dealing with, you know, years of compounded trauma and grief and loss. And my nervous system had just become so attuned over the years to living in this survival mode and crisis that I, I didn't really know how to exist fully in a physical place of peace. I hadn't experienced that, let alone in my inner world. So this arriving at the farm and hearing this song, this was a turning point for me, a point when you know, honestly, thanks in large part to hearing this song because it just gave words so clearly to what what I wanted to really grasp onto and and call to myself at this point in my life was I began to actively seek how I could be my own Shiloh, my own place of peace, my own safe landing place where I could rest. And I realize at this point, this may all sound like another rabbit trail, but I do have a point. I promise. The point is, I learned how to hold myself in a bigger, deeper way during this time. And one year later, I I find myself listening again to this song, playing it for um, my boyfriend as we're in the kitchen of his home. And I'm being held for the first time by someone who actually feels like a Shiloh, a place of peace and rest to me. Someone who so quickly has felt like home in a way no one really ever has. Someone who sees me, who really sees me and delights in me and holds me as if I'm this treasure. A year later, I'm finally free of this marriage. I did it all on my own. I've come out and come out and come out and navigated all kinds of huge questions and experiences as a queer person. The heartbreak did not stop or really slowed down in the last year. And yet, here I am. In this sudden shift from deep grief to joy, from heartache to full heart, after a decade of this ever-present grief, really becoming friends with grief, this companion I'm now faced with something so new and foreign to me, just kind of knocking at my door, (laughs) happiness. And I've 
you know, I've got like kind of a touchy relationship with the word happiness because I feel like we glorify happiness in this culture with, you know, it's just like the pursuit of happiness is just such a, I mean, I just really think that it, it's just idolized (laughs) and I just don't think that life is something that is, you know, that, that having a life that just is centering happiness is necessarily, you know, the goal that I resonate with is happiness comes and goes, right? Um, but when it does come, do we let it in? And I've been a little terrified of that. Let's be honest. I know how to live with grief day in and day out. I know too how to receive these moments of joy, moments of wonder to, yeah, like taste the moments of happiness, but I have not known how to live in seasons, seasons of joy or seasons of happiness. They just have not been a thing for me. And through so many channels, like all the tarot cards I've been pulling this season, and astrological transits, which, thank heavens, I have this best friend who can, you know, interpret all of this for me (laughs) in a way that I can understand. And through the invitation of midwinter, in bulk, you know, like I talked about in the last episode, through songs that have been coming across my path and stories and social medias, posts that like speak to me. And finally, this absolutely rare treasure of a human being that's come into my life. I feel like I've received this message over and over again. Lean into joy. Lean in. Like come in with an undefended heart. Like expect, how about expect goodness? Expect it without any evidence of its guarantee. Again, like I talked about in the last episode. So that's what I've been doing. Not ignoring the fear or the discomfort at all, but just acknowledging it like, hey, I see you there. Yeah you. (laughs) I know you're super freaked out by all this, but we're trying something new and brave here. So just hang in there and trust me, will you please? I've been working so hard to relax into this invitation to deeper rest, to ease around joy and also around love. I've already written a few love poems for my sweetie. The first one I wrote out for them on a long strip of birch bark, which is now hanging above his fireplace. And I'm going to share it with you. 
this is, this is what I wrote. I want to watch you blink your shuttered eyes in the morning and turn toward me with sleep-dusted glow. I want to watch you unfurl beneath my touch while I trace fingers across your frame, your body pedaling open, soft and dew-dripped, lifting. I want to watch you crack open your chrysalis again and again with each emergence more holy you. I want to watch you become you and you and you for however long our stories will gently weave in and around and through each other and I want to watch you as you spread wings and dance through waves of air. Even if you never return, I want to watch you. Even if it breaks me, I want to watch you. Honestly, I really loved this poem when I wrote it. I thought, yeah, okay. Here is my vulnerability, my, my honest desire, <laughs> and also my fear. And it wasn't until a couple days ago that I realized how much of my you know, conditioning in crisis mode was woven into the words I'd chosen. It's not until I read a post on Instagram and felt like something in me just woke up. And so this post was written by an author I follow. Her name is Jeanette LeBlanc. Uh, she writes really beautiful things that often speak to me, and she'd shared this thing that she'd written. She, she wrote, You can choose a love and a life that does not break you. You can claim a softer beauty and a kinder want. Even your animal hunger can soften its rough edges. You can say a full-throated yes to only what is good and kind and holy. Know that insanity is not a prerequisite for passion. There is another pathway to healing. One that does not demand your pain as payment for its own becoming. Know this, love. It doesn't have to hurt anymore. I sat with this in my own big aha moment and realized the only love story I've known is the one that demands my pain for its own becoming and doesn't actually give me love in return. <laughs> the one that breaks me. Love always breaks me. So much so that I have not even been able to conceive of a love that stays. Only a few weeks in, I, you know, I had already prepared myself for this inevitable breaking. And it was right there in my poem. I haven't known how to live a love that isn't one step ahead of managing crisis or loss. And I could feel myself, I could hear myself bracing for it. And I could hear in the words of this author that we could also choose a different way. I could choose a different love 
So I shared this with my boyfriend. <laughs> Thank all that is miraculous and magical in the world. He is someone who gets as excited and appreciative and turned on by emotional depth and safety and intimacy and growth as I do. We have already navigated all kinds of delicate, raw, vulnerable terrain in our, our short time together, which has really turned time itself into something that isn't all that relevant. When we've talked about how we want this journey together to be creative, exploratory, collaborative. We want curiosity and freedom to be unconventional. At least, you know, not feeling pressure to squeeze our story into some societal norm of a narrative that doesn't actually work for us. Something that's like so black and white. That's one of the many beauties of being queer. We're already living outside some pretty huge norms and we get to define things however the hell we want. I don't want to be creating a story with you that continues this old narrative of bracing myself for catastrophic loss, I told him. I don't want to perpetuate this as a love story. So he asked me, you know, if I would consider revising the poem I'd written, how I feel about that thought. You know, you wouldn't have to throw it out, he said. Maybe there's a different ending you'd want to write for it. Maybe not. But it was something to get curious about, so it seemed like a really good idea to me. And I, I sat with it, and I worked on it. And this is what I came up with. I'm going to just start midway through the poem. I want to watch you become you and you and you for however long our stories will gently weave in and around and through each other. And I want to watch you as you spread wings and dance through waves of air without anticipation of breaking I want to watch you in the invitation to softer love I want to watch you I want to watch me I want to watch us transmute fear so that same night I was with him remembering this harrowing exodus of the year before remembering my search for Shiloh, thinking about how far I've traveled as a person since then, and sinking into this joy of being in his arms. That same night, we sat by the fireplace where the original poem is hanging, and I read him that revised one. And he looked at me with sparkling, lovey eyes at the end of it and nodded like, yes, that's it. And that this is the turning point. And we talked about how we'd like to rewrite the poem 
on another strip of birch bark and sew it on top of the first one. And we don't need to destroy the old one or pretend it doesn't exist. We can simply weave the new one on top of the old, like painting something fresh on top of an old canvas. And I think in this case, if you're wondering if I'll, I'll, I'll ever get <laughs> there, this, this is the point I'm probably trying to make most of all. I am actively testing this theory that loss is always lurking in the shadows, waiting to swallow me whole. That love is something that must break me. That I may never be worthy of having what my heart deeply longs for. But that's only for other people. That it's too risky even to hope for it. And instead, I'm acknowledging this fear that still exists. I'm taking care of myself in it, but accepting the invitation into something new, something softer. I mean, loss will always be a part of life. That's not the point. But this idea that love, real love, is something that comes to break us, that leaves us, that never stays like to be done with that story thank you very much I'd like to retire that one and write a new one and I actually think I can I think I'm finally in a position to do that I think we all can in our own ways in our own time and so I offer maybe this can be a soft kind of radical way of being queer in the world in your, in our lives it's finding these old stories and saying hey hey maybe it's time maybe it's time i learned to test that story and write a new one on top of the old one. So, my friends, those are my thoughts. <laughs> In the living room of today. I just thank you for being here. I, I wish I could see your faces. But I... I'm so grateful you're here. And again, if ever you want to reach out and say hi, if you want to let me know something that did resonate with you, if you want to be part of the conversation by just sending me some of your thoughts, then please feel free to reach out. Um, you can find me on Instagram at To Be Continued Podcast and leave me a message there. Um, you know, you can find me at my personal Instagram at Kiss the Earth Amber. Um, and if you if you you know also enjoy this podcast, then 
you want to if you want to subscribe and share it you know I always appreciate that too but I would just love always love to hear from you and I hope that you um are holding I hope you're holding space for yourself in this time wherever you're at and until we meet again please go in peace So I finished recording this episode, but I had to come back and add this little post story because it was just too timely not to, and it is definitely the most ironic thing, I would say, that has ever happened to me. So on the day that I recorded this episode, I... Uh, shortly after hopped in car uh, that I reference in this episode that my my coworker here on the farm, one of them has just so graciously shared with me um, and I started driving to see my boyfriend and it was you know, the very beginning of a winter storm, which I was hoping to really get to, you know, my destination before it got bad, right? I didn't know how bad the roads were, but I, you know, I'm driving slowly and as carefully as possible um, as it's snowing, and I'm listening to the recording of this episode just to, you know, get a feel for how coherent it is, how it flows together, yada, yada. And I'm almost to the end of the episode, and I'm driving up a hill on this county road, and suddenly I find the car sliding. It, It slides, turns 90 degrees, and then heads straight towards a guardrail. And before I know it, the car is gone over the guardrail and I am barreling down a hill and this is all happening of course so fast that I can't even process it and it's also happening kind of in slow motion as these things tend to to do time is just so funky when we have these things flashing uh, flashing before our eyes, literally. So what I remember in these just rapid fire moments before impact was that I saw myself heading towards a tree and I was thinking, okay, this is the last thing that I'm will have been listening to (laughs) before I die or perhaps before I am like incapacitated and the next thing I thought was if I survive this 
I, that this is it in terms of, I guess that's the end of my happy season, (laughs) which, you know, this whole episode, right? It's just about, kind of about my journey from trying to step out of the story and the conditioning around crisis mode, which is real, like real, like learning how to survive in crisis is a real skill, right? But it doesn't serve us well all the time. And so learning how to kind of step beyond that crisis story and not be constantly bracing for impact and loss and breaking is a lot of work and it's really scary and learning to trust and lean into the possibility of not just moments of happiness but seasons of happiness uh it just felt like all of that all of that was flashing before me in that moment like yeah this is it like i it's over it was a nice month and it's over (laughs) um And then I hit the tree and nothing happened. There was no tree coming through the windshield. There was no glass shattering. There was no car flipping over. There was no puncturing, no braking. I didn't, the airbags didn't even go off. I mean, nothing beyond crunching, severely crunching the hood of this poor vehicle. Nothing else happened. And this little tree stopped me from going in the water, or the car from going in the water. It was right below, and a couple of inches more to the right, and I would have hit some significantly larger trees. But everything didn't turn out that way and I I was okay I had braced for this awful impact like it was terrifying and legitimately so like wasn't bracing myself for no reason (laughs) like this is a legit crisis but that impact didn't come like the impact came but nothing no breaking came with the impact and instead I was, you know, shaken, very, very shaken. But instead, I, I climbed out of the car eventually. (laughs) And a car full of, of strangers had stopped and reached out their hands to help me up the hill and asked me what I needed and offered to give me a ride an hour away almost to where I was going and more cars started passing and every car stopped asking if I was okay and you know I I just had just such kind offers from all these strangers and I called my boyfriend and he and his little girl hopped in the car and drove to pick me up and instead I was 
just embraced by this person that is so dear and <laughs> taken back for the weekend to just play games and cuddle and make pancakes and sleep in and go to a museum and have a just wonderful, delicious time, the three of us. And uh, all the time thinking how different it could have turned out and it didn't. And I don't have to dwell on what could have happened because honestly I can't really go there but like I don't have to go there I don't have to dwell there on the what if of what could have happened it didn't happen and I'm okay and instead I get to I got to experience a different ending and that doesn't always happen that absolutely does not always happen and if a different ending had happened and it would have been you know, an injury or something like that, I still could have been okay. It's There still could have been happiness. It still could have been something that turned into a beautiful story. But it could have just been very different. And I just am really grateful that, you know, not for once, but kind of feels like, yay, this is like one time that the story turned out a really sweet in miraculous way <laughs> instead of the way that broke me and so I just wanted to offer that sometimes that happens and I don't know why I don't know why it happens that way I don't know why but I don't need to know why I'm just grateful that it did so <sighs> passing some of that juju along to anybody who needs it and yeah be safe and take care, everyone.